0: We're going to kind of dig into 2 Corinthians 12 today in a specific section of the Bible. But uh, how many of you have asked the question as things happen in your life, why me? Why is this happening, Lord? Why me? It's probably one of the most common questions we have when things start going sideways. Whether it's you get bad news about your health, your doctor says, I've got some bad news for you. Or, or your job says, hey, we're going to have to cut back some of your hours, or maybe we've cut your position completely. Or, you know, maybe a person that you thought you could trust, you thought they would be there for you, and yet you found out, you know what, they weren't there. It, I, I made a mistake. That happens to all of us. And in those situations, we have a tendency to ask, why? I read a story about, I don't know if you remember, he's been, around, he's been gone for a while, but a, a guy named Arthur Ashe. He was a tennis player back in the 70s and 80s, and he actually won Wimbledon. He won one of the biggest tournaments in the world, and and he actually died of AIDS, and he got AIDS by, he was getting a heart surgery, and somebody had donated tainted blood, and through that, he got AIDS and ultimately died of that disease, but as he was kind of battling the disease, somebody wrote him a letter and asked, "Why, why would God allow you to go through such a terrible thing? And his response, I think, was pretty, pretty classic. His reply was, 50 million kids start to play tennis. Five million learn to play. 500,000 become professional. 50,000 actually come and play in the circuit. 5,000 reach a Grand Slam. 50 reach Wimbledon. Four reach the semifinals. Two reach the finals. But when I was holding the, the winner's cup in my hand, I never asked God, why me? And so his conclusion was this. If I were to say, God, why me, about the bad things, then I should have said, God, why me, about the good things that happened into my life. And I think there's a a growing perspective in that. As we go through this section in 2 Corinthians, I know we're only going to be looking at like four verses today. But understand what's going on in this chapter. Paul had, in the previous verses, verses 1 through 6, talked about this vision that he had that God had allowed him to hear and see what was actually happening, what heaven was really like. He doesn't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. He doesn't know, but all he knows is God gave him a vision of what heaven was going to be like. And along with that great blessing of seeing heaven for real, like this is really what we have to look forward to, along with that great blessing there was also a great burden, so sometimes that works that way, where the blessings and the burdens they kind of they kind of come they go hand in hand with one another. and so now Paul's going to be reflecting on the burden, and we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about this subject of suffering, the the suffering and the challenges that happen in our life and and when we go through these times that are really difficult personally as a, a family, even as a congregation, even as a, a, a state and a country. As we go through these difficult times, you have to kind of remove yourself from the idea that all suffering is bad. I know that it feels like that. I know when we're going through it, we're in the fire and things are falling apart, you feel like, man, this, this is terrible. This is the worst possible thing that could have ever happened. And, and yet, there is a purpose. God has purposes, and and the things that happen don't happen just by accident. There's causes, and there's reasons for the things that we suffer. Now, three of the reasons why we suffer. What what causes this? Well, one of them is just human frailty, right? As you get older, you find that, you know what? Human frailty starts setting in more and more and more, And, and, and if you're like me, I'm in my 50s now, I'm 56, and when you hit your 50s, you don't even need a reason to be hurt. You just, you just wake up and it's like, oh, my knee today. Oh, my shoulder today. You don't know why. It just is. Human frailty. It happens. Secondly, though, there's the consequences of sin. And, and, and that's, a, that's a, a reality as well. It, the way Paul would put it is, it's, it's sowing and reaping, right? You, you sow the wrong things. Whatever you sow, you reap. The way Hosea put it is this. You've sown the wind, you've reaped the whirlwind. And so there are times that our suffering is self-inflicted. It's the consequences of our choices. But then the third reason is this, and this is what we really want to focus on today. The third reason for, for suffering is what we're going to call character development. In other words, the Lord allows things to happen in our lives because there's something He wants to do or accomplish in them. And there's just a, a side note. You can just jot it down in the, the, the margin of your Bible or of your note-taker. Romans 5 verses 1 through 5 is a great text kind of kind of also illustrating that. But we're not going to turn there today. We're going to kind of hunker down and stay here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so we're going to break up our, our study in three sections. I know it's only four verses, so it's going to be... You know, it's going to be pretty concise. But the first verse, we see our first breakdown, our first section, and what I'm going to call a painful burden. Paul experiences this painful burden. Notice, join with me, verse 7. He writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so there in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, if you, you notice that two times in that one verse, he mentions the fact, lest I be exalted above measure. He says it two times in one verse. And so obviously there's something here that Paul is aware of. And so he is obviously aware of the danger, the probability, the, the chance that pride could set in. He could be exalted above measure, what he should be. The, the way that he would probably put it in another place is to think more highly of himself than he ought to. And that's a, a very real danger. I mean, he had just had an experience where he saw something that very, very few people that have ever existed in this world ever saw. He actually saw what heaven is like. And in fact, the people that say, I've seen heaven, you know they haven't. Because when Paul writes about it, he says, You can't even write about it. It would be wrong to even describe words couldn't do justice to what I've seen. So so the people that say, Oh, yeah, I have this vision of heaven, you kind of wonder, Did you really? Because Paul couldn't even explain it. But he had this experience, and because of it, he says, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, this vision of heaven he saw. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. He realizes that the danger of becoming prideful was oh so real in his life because of what he had seen. And so the danger of pride, especially as believers, is something that we have to be continually aware of. To think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. To, to, to either put out as this image or want people to think more of us or even think more of ourselves than we should. Very dangerous thing. There, there was a gal that set an appointment with her pastor because she had to confess this, this sin that she was struggling with. And so as, as she was sharing, they met, and he, she's like, Pastor, I, I have this problem. It's, it's really an issue, and I, I, I don't know what to do about it. And so, you know, well, tell, tell me what this is. Tell me this thing that you can't control. And, and she says, you know, it's a problem because whenever I come to church and I sit in the congregation, I look around and I realize I'm the most beautiful person in the whole room. <laughs> I mean, I look around at the other ladies and I realize that there's nobody in the room that can compare to my beauty. And, and, and I, I'm really struggling with that. that. You know, what do I do? And the pastor replied, sister, that's not a sin, that's just a mistake. You're delusional, you know, you're, you're, you're really not what you think you are. And so often that's what happens. The Lord will use something, you know, for every bubble that grows on our head, he's got a pin to pop it, right? And, and so in this case, he just used the pastor, and said, sorry sister, you're just not. You're not. You're really not. So you don't have to worry. You've been delivered and healed. It's gone. But you see, Paul writes about this tool. He writes about a tool that God uses in his life to humble him. And he describes it as a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what kind of affliction this thorn of the flesh really is. But when I think about a thorn in the flesh, it's something painful. You know, how many of you work with wood? You're a carpenter, you work with wood from time to time. Anybody that's worked with wood, if you have even, you've probably picked up not just a sliver in your skin, but I mean, I'm talking, you know, when you run your hand the wrong way and you get like a, a one or two inch little chunk of wood in your hand, and you're like, ooh, and you got to get your pliers out and you got to pull it out of your hand. You're like, oh, that hurt bad, right? That's kind of more the idea of what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about a little sliver under your skin. The, the literal idea is a tent stake. It feels like I've got a tent stake in my flesh. There's something that's, that's just hurting me. And so we don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. Now, if you study the passage, you read different guys and different commentators, they, they'll give you different opinions on what it is that this thorn in the flesh was. Some people would say, oh, it was his eyesight. You know, Paul struggled with that eyesight. That's why the Galatians, he said, you know, you would, you would pluck your own eyes out and give them to me if you could could be but we don't know some people think it was intense headaches because of malaria that he picked up in his travels and and indeed the headache caused by malaria is described as a tense state going through your temple that'd be pretty bad other people think it was the people that were working contrary to him and giving him so much trouble and grief the bottom line is this we don't know what it is And I'm glad the Lord left it kind of unclear and ambiguous. Because if it was, let's say it was bad eyesight. Oh, that thorn in the flesh is bad. Then everybody that has bad eyesight, you need glasses. And you think, oh man, you know, this is my thorn in the flesh. I've got this thorn in the flesh, you know. Or if it was just people that were against you, or it was just, you know, whatever it was. The reason is, it's ambiguous because everyone has a different thorn in the flesh. Whatever it is the Lord brings in your life and it brings you to a place of humility and dependence upon Him, that thorn in the flesh could be just about anything. But he talks about this thorn in the flesh. That's one way he describes it. But then he describes it a second way. If you look at verse 7, and he goes further and says, let me just read the whole thing. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And then he calls it a messenger Of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So the same problem, different description. He calls it now a messenger of Satan. That that the devil is causing me all this grief, this trouble. Now you might think I'm a child of God. Would God actually actually allow me, His kid, to be beat down? satan himself answer sure read the book of job chapter one and two and you find out that yes indeed satan did buffet no more than god would allow him to but satan was an instrument used in job's life to bring about the things that god wanted to do in his life yes god can even use satan because sometimes the lord uses the most unlikely candidates to bring change into our life. Don't be shocked at that. Don't be surprised that God will use the people that you least expected to bring about the things that He wants in your life. I mean, He's used so many people. He's used my kids. No shock, He's used my wife. My wife is one of the the greatest tools in my life to bring humility. And the Lord just uses her amazingly. But sometimes He even uses your enemies. He uses people that you think, why would you use them, Lord? You know, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Habakkuk. It's one of those little books at the end of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. But man, what a major message in this minor prophet. Because Habakkuk, he was a prophet, and he was looking around at his own people. And he was looking at the, the, the condition of their, their, their walk with the Lord, and he's like, man, we're terrible, Lord. He realized that his own people were just all messed up. And he struggled with that until the Lord says, Habakkuk, check this out. He didn't quite say that, but that's the idea. Check this out. When you hear what I'm going to do now, it'll blow your mind. Because I'm going to use the Babylonians to correct my people. And then Habakkuk didn't know what to do because he said, Well, Lord, I know we're bad, but the Babylonians, they're really, really bad. And you're going to use them to correct us? How could this be, Lord? He says, you watch and see. You see, sometimes the Lord uses the most unlikely candidates to bring about correction in our lives. So understand this. With this this challenging situation, this painful thing that's happening, there's a lesson that he's learning. Paul is teaching him something. Now, in verses 8 and 9, the second thing we need is this desperate request we're going to see Paul make this this heartfelt he's like begging the Lord notice verse 8 concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me I mean this is a pretty desperate request Paul three times he pleads with God I don't know how many times you've actually pleaded with God or you've begged him you've cried out to him and it says for three times so he was persistent but he begs the lord he pleads with the lord to do what that this thing might depart from me you see that's the way i pray i don't know about you might pray the same way when things go bad i pray lord make this go away i don't want to deal with this this is painful this is hard fix the problem deliver me lord make it go away That is a normal, and I would say even understandable prayer. But the question is this. Is it the right prayer? Is is it the thing that we should really be asking? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with praying. We need to pray. It's important that we pray. But our first choice isn't always our best choice. And and we tend to ask for the easy way out. We, We tend to ask for, Lord... I I want this to be pain-free, and I want no problems. I'm reminded of a story of a guy He finds a a cocoon to an emperor moth. You know, emperor moth, you know, these, these, these worms, they make a cocoon, and then they transform inside this cocoon into like a butterfly or a moth. It's a really pretty amazing thing the Lord does when you think about that. But he takes this cocoon and he takes it home because he wants to watch, have kind of a, a National Geographic moment, you know, and he, he wants to see this thing. And so the time comes that the, this moth is starting to emerge from its cocoon. And he's watching as this little guy, this little animal is struggling. There's a little hole and this, this, this little moth is pushing his way out the hole. And then he reaches this spot, this moth reaches a spot where it's like he's stuck, and, and he watches, and for hours he, there's like nothing happening, no movement. He's thinking there's, there's got to be something wrong here. And so he takes a little, a little exacto knife, little blade, and he just, just kind of opens up the hole a little bit more, just makes it easier for this moth to, to emerge from its cocoon. And out comes this moth, and he's got a kind of a plump, swollen little body, and and the wings are are kind of crinkled and, and and wrinkled up, and and so he's like, okay, cool, he's out. And he's waiting for this, this moth to, to spread its wings and fly away. But what he finds is this it never happens. Th- this moth, for the rest of its life, has this swollen body and crinkled up wings. It never flies. And the reason why he finds out later is this the energy and effort of pushing himself through that little hole in his cocoon forces the, the fluids in his body into the wings. And so, because he short-circuited that and made it so that that never happened, well, this this animal never never flew, it never became what it was supposed to be. And in so many ways, we want and pray for the same thing. Read through the Bible, and what you realize is the Bible is filled with people that are runners. They run from God. They run from their troubles. They run from their problems. There's Jacob. There's Jonah. So many. I just run from my problems. And what you find is those people that run struggle. The ones that say, okay, Lord, you're you're doing something here. Lord, help me not to run. Help me to learn. Help me to mature. Help me to grow. Help me to do your will in this. They're the ones that end up doing better. The ones that run, just run into the same problem over and over and over again. And so to understand that Paul is pleading with the Lord, but he's learning a valuable lesson. And forgive me, I know this is going to sound super corny. And, and all I can do is apologize. It's corny, but it makes sense to me. It's something like, like you see in a Hallmark card or something. But the lesson I learned from this is this. It's not wrong to pray. We can pray. He says, hey, you know what? Pray about everything. Make your request, but trust that God knows best. Okay? So pray about everything. Make your request be, name, be made known to God, but trust that He knows better for you and I than what we do. And so sometimes we pray, Lord, give me a lighter load. And God says, no, I'm going to give you a stronger back. I'm going to give you stronger shoulders. I'm going to carry you through this. And so he says in verse 9, and he said to me, so here's what Jesus said to him. He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I love that passage. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, don't ask for escape. Understand that my grace will be sufficient for your situation. You need something vital added to your life. Now, how many of you are vitamin takers? You pop vitamins. You've been told they're good for you. They are, actually. Vitamins are good for you. So, you non-vitamin takers, time to start, okay? I take a a, a wad of vitamins every day. It's like I have a handful of vitamins. My wife laughs at me, but it's like, you need your vitamin D, right? And you need vitamin C. And you need, you know, all these different vitamins and these things, and they're good. But I'm going to add a new vitamin to our list. We need vitamin D g okay i don't know if such a vitamin really exists it exists now we need vitamin g and vitamin g is grace that's god's vitamin g to you that's the thing that we need because he says it's by my grace that i'm going to carry you through it's sufficient for you when we have god's grace it's sufficient it carries us through why first peter 5 10 says this our god is the god of all grace He's the God of all grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He says, when we approach the throne of God, we approach the throne of grace. It says in Acts 20, verse 32, as we study God's word, it is the word of his grace. And then in James chapter 4, verse 6, we find out that God gives more grace. And so we need God's grace. It's His undeserved favor. We need it. It carries us through because His strength. Did you see that? Those letters, if you have a a lot of your Bibles have Jesus' words in red, mine does. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He learned a valuable lesson. His strength is perfected in my weakness. See, you won't be too weak for God to help you, but you might be too strong. You won't be in this place where it's like, oh God, I'm beyond help. I'm too weak for you to help me. No, just the opposite. We might be so self-strong, strong strong in our own eyes, it's like, okay Lord, I don't need your help. I don't even think you can help me. I got this one on my own. And, And that's not a great place to be. Thirdly, From the middle of chapter 9, or verse 9, into verse 10, we see the third thing. And that is, now we've got a new perspective. We know he had a problem, painful burden. We know that he made this desperate request to take it away. But now we see that his perspective has been changed. Take a look at the end of verse 9, the second half. I'll just read the whole verse. And he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness.'" but then he goes on to say therefore most gladly i will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of christ may rest upon me man that's that's a pretty amazing statement that he's making what a change of mind he says i will boast in my infirmities now most people boast sometimes we don't even know we're boasting Sometimes we boast in a way that's very subtle, that people don't know we're boasting, but we really are. You know, some people say, Well, you know, the Lord showed me in my devotions this morning this amazing passage. So you'll say, Oh, wow, so spiritual. You have your devotions in the morning. Wow, that's great. And what do we're doing, we're boasting. We're telling people that we read our Bible in the morning. However, we do it, whether we do it on purpose or not, we normally boast about our strengths, we boast about our accomplishments. We boast about the things that we've completed that we do well. Oh yeah, you know what, I bench press 500 pounds. Not me, obviously, but I mean, I bench press 500 pounds, or I run a marathon, or, or I've got a PhD, or I've accomplished these great things. We, we, we boast about those things, but we don't boast about our weaknesses. You don't say, well, you know what, I managed to get kicked off the tennis team. Who gets kicked off the tennis team? I did. I managed to get kicked off. I don't know how I got kicked off the tennis team. You know, we won't talk about how we failed, how we've blown it, how we came in last. We don't normally do that. But Paul says, I boast about my infirmities. To receive his sufficiency, we need to understand our own insufficiency. When we realize, man, you know what, I'm I'm insufficient, I, I can't do this. And in desperation, we just cry out, Lord, I need you. Everybody struggles in their own world, in some area. Whatever it is, whether you're an electrician, whether you're an accountant, whether you're, you know, whatever it is that you do, there's probably a season in your life where you really struggled in it. I'm a pastor, so I can look back and, you know, it's been like three decades of ministry for me. It's like amazingly, God's been amazingly gracious. But when I think about the first seven years of ministry, I call that seven years the Great Tribulation. Because for me, that first seven years was the most challenging time for me, not because God was challenging, but because God was allowing me to do everything I thought would be a great idea. It was like, for the first seven years, I try. He like, here, you want to tr- try every plan you want. Try every idea. D- do it all in your own strength. Do, just do whatever you think. And don't get me wrong. God didn't abandon me. But sometimes as a parent, you let your kid try and try and try till they exhaust themselves. And then finally, when they're exhausted and given up, and they say, I don't know what to do, then they, you can come in and say, okay, let me help you now. And so for the first seven years, man, I was like, you want to try? Go for it. Think you can do it? Go for it. You got it handled? Try it. And it was after seven years, the great tribulation ended. And I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do with this. I have no idea. And when when I finally said, Lord, I surrender, I give up, I could see the Lord saying, well, okay, now that you're done doing it your way, now let's try it my way. Now let me do it. again, God didn't abandon me He just let me exhaust my efforts to the point where I surrendered and I realized I can't do this without you. You need to do this. And it's been amazing to watch how God started doing His thing in my life and and it's been so much better. And that's what we learn. We learn that to surrender to Him, we, we, we understand the importance of our infirmities, not our strengths. Look at the other way his perspective changes. Take a look at verse 10. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Here's the second major change. He took pleasure, think about this, pleasure in his problems, those are two words you don't connect together too often, right? Do you take problem and pleasure and put them together? It's kind of like a, it's that big word. it's an oxymoron. It's two words that are opposite one another that are, that are combined together, kind of like jumbo shrimp, right? Jumbo shrimp. doesn't work, but you know, we know what they're. It, 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 it's pleasure in pain. pleasure in problems. He says, what kind of things?" infirmities, our weakness, in reproaches. You know what reproaches are? Reproaches are insults. When somebody comes up and insults you, I don't know if you like being insulted. I don't find much pleasure being insulted. In fact, when I get insulted, it's one of the few times I consider murder. You know, it's like, (laughs) I think I might kill you right now. You know, I mean, that's our human nature, right? But here Paul says, hey, you know what? I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in distresses, in the things that are hard and difficult. I find pleasure in that. Why? Because it was for Christ's sake. That's what he points out in verse 10. It's for Christ's sake. In other words, when these things are happening because, when I'm insulted because I'm a Christian, and because I want to live for the Lord, hey man, that's a pleasure. When your family looks at you and says, man, you're You're weird now. You know, you used to be okay, but now you're a Christian. You're weird. We don't like having you around. It's pleasure. When you're you're tired in the ministry. Now, in the ministry, we get tired, but we're not tired of the ministry. We just get tired in the ministry. It's fatiguing. But you know what? We take pleasure in that. All these things that can happen, we realize the hardships, the difficulties can actually be a blessing because they drive us closer to the Lord. They make me more dependent. Because notice what he says in verse 10 right at the end. He says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I realize I'm strong. You see, there's something I I see quite a mix. I love having you kids here. I know that you want to get back to your children's ministry class and get your teachers and your friends. I know that you've been very patient because I know I put a lot of kids to sleep. So thank you for staying away. But I know that as kids, you look forward to the day that someday I'm going to grow up, I'm going to, I'm going to move out of my parents' house, I'm going to become a big person, become an adult, and I won't need my mom and dad for everything. In fact, there may come a day where my parents need me. That's the weird thing that happens as you get older. You kind of reverse roles, right? At one point, you need your parents so bad, and then your parents need you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. But... We grow up thinking, I want to grow up and I want to get out on my own. I want to live my own. I don't want to become dependent on my parents. We grow past that. In fact, it would be kind of weird if, you know, as a, you know, I'm 56 now, but let's say I'm, I've been married for 30 years. Let's say as a 40 year old man, I came to my dad and say, hey, hey dad, you know, I, I need some help. You know, I've got this clog in my sink and I don't know what to do. Can you, can you take care of that for me? You're like, grow up, dude, deal with the problem yourself, right? I mean, those are the things, you, you learn to deal with things, right? But here's the thing where it breaks down because as Christians, we never want to reach the place where it's like, Lord, I don't need your help for this. I, I need you in everything I do. You think you know? I've been teaching the Bible for over thirty years, but but I realize that the moment I step up here, if the Lord isn't with me, I could die in a second. I literally could. I've had many near death experiences up here, you know. And so you realize that that I need the Lord. For everything. I really do. And so he says, when I'm strong, when I'm weak, he says, then, then I'm strong. When I think about Paul, I think about a guy that was really, Paul was the epitome of strength. When I, when I think about people that have changed the world outside of Jesus, nobody has changed the world more than the Apostle Paul. Think about that. This guy, through his ministry, through his writing, through his church planting, has done more for good in this world than any other human being, truly outside of Jesus, he was a strong guy, and yet when I think about this strong guy and all that he's done, what was the what was the the source what was the secret of this strength where he could go in and plant churches and, and go into and go to hostile places and establish leadership and you know develop ministry and, and, and preach the gospel. how did he do that? I would suggest you because he understood a simple thing that he just said. when I'm weak, I'm strong. I mean here's a guy outside of all his strength, I would suggest to you that Paul probably suffered more things than all of us in this room combined. The Apostle Paul struggled through a lot of stuff. I mean, how many of you have ever been in a shipwreck before? How many of you have been like a sh- shipwreck and spent a night and a day floating around in the deep, in the ocean? Probably none. Okay, none of us. How many of you have been beaten with rods for your faith? Now, I almost he- hesitate to ask this. How many of you have been stoned? I'm not talking with weed out in the alley either. I'm talk- <laughs> I'm talking about people literally taking rocks and throwing them at you until you're dead how many of you see none of us none of us have had that happen and yet paul all these things and more you can read about in chapter 11 all these things happened to paul and what did they bring paul to that place where he understood when i'm weak that's when i'm the strongest that's that's when it actually happens for me And so, knowing his weakness was his source of strength, Paul could write in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Because he he got it. And so, our worst trials can so often end up being our greatest blessings. I'm reminded of a... He was a writer, his name was Somerset Maugham, and he writes about this this janitor that worked at the church at St. Peter's Church in London. And, And at this church this janitor is working and one of the young pastors discovers that this janitor is illiterate. He can't read a word. He can't write a word. And finding that out, he fired him on the spot. He said, we can't have an illiterate person working here in the church. And he fired him. And so this janitor takes the little resources he had, little funds he had, he buys this little shop. And and what he finds out is he's pretty good at running a shop because this shop prospers and he buys a second shop. And he buys a third shop. And before long, he's got this chain of shops. And, and he becomes a super wealthy guy. Well, after years, his, his banker meets with him. And he's having a meeting with him. And, and the banker points out, hey, you know what? Um, you've done really well for a guy that's illiterate. Where would you be if you could read and write, though? And he says, well, I'd be the janitor at St. Peter's Church. That's where I'd be. Because sometimes those, those things we think, oh man, this is my, 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 my weakness, my struggle. The Lord can turn it into something that's really pretty amazing. And so we're going to wrap it up. You can close your Bibles up because we're done studying it now. Let's just kind of draw some conclusions from it. From what I can see in the Bible, through the book of Acts, through Paul's writings, from what I can see... Paul's situation never changed. We don't know if that thorn in the flesh, that messenger of Satan, was ever taken away. His situation didn't change, but you know what? His attitude did. And I find that for me, that's the most important thing. I know that so many things, my situation doesn't change, but the Lord has to change my attitude. And so the problem remained, but his perspective was better. Because he's teaching Paul a lesson, he's teaching us a lesson or at least me. one of the lessons I learned is that that pride is a bigger problem than being sick. Pridefulness is a bigger problem than having misfortune and difficulty. and so Paul learned that you know what it's it's better for me to endure the difficulty and live with and even rejoice in the difficulty than walk around prideful because that's what caused the devil to fall. The thorns he says the thorn in the flesh, the thorns are for now. We're going to live in this life and you know what, we're going to have thorns in our life. We have the thorns of a, a, a virus that you know, is changing everybody's world. We have the thorns of unemployment. We have the thorns of depression. All the, the, the thorns are for now, but the comfort is going to come in heaven. Another great lesson is this. Our hard times and struggles can actually make us more fit and more prepared for ministry. I know this doesn't happen in El Monte, but it happens over in Santa Fe Springs all the time. And that's this. Some people are waiting for the perfect time to serve God. And they say, you know, this is just not the right time for me right now. You know, I've got these difficulties. I've got these pains. Life is busy. I've got these problems. And so I'll serve the Lord when life gets smooth." serve the lord when 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 time is abundant and all my finances are in order and everything is good then i'll be ready to serve the lord and my question is will you ever serve the lord then when does that ever really happen and for many of us you know it's like it wouldn't and so that's really not the right way of looking at it because as I look back in my own life, I, I see that some of my craziest moments are the times where I was most productive. The times where I was getting stretched to the very limit were the times that God did the most. You know, recently, last couple years, about th- two or three years ago, we finished, a, at least for us, a major building project over at Santa Fe Springs. And we took over the unit next to us and we built a new sanctuary fire sprinkled the whole building did all this stuff you know so we had this major building project going on and in the midst of that my my dad was in ICU he was in, you know he was on life support and had all these medical issues and then ultimately months later he went home to be with the Lord and and so that was not weighing heavy I was teaching four or five services a week I mean it was life was nuts but in that time of being super stretched, it really was one of the most fruitful times of my life. And, and, and so it wasn't that things were smooth and calm and that was the right time to serve. It was, it was in the midst of the battle that the Lord met me and showed I can, I can do all things. And so when we think about the troubles that we have and, and how to handle the difficulties that you no doubt are going through right now. I, I read a book years ago, it was a really good book. It's kind of based on the book of Habakkuk as well. It was called Hind's Feet on High Places, written by a gal named Hannah Harnard. And, and in this book, and it's kind of a trippy book. If you choose to read it, I would recommend it. It's like, a, it's an allegory. It's a picture of the Christian life. But you kind of have to think through it because it's just a lot of word pictures. But one of them is the picture of this flower called Acceptance with Joy acceptance with joy and the idea of taking the things that, that happen in our lives that God allows and accept them with joy they, because they keep us humble and they keep us leaning and depending upon God and they keep us in this place where he can continue to, to work his power through us and so when, when we're weak that's when he really does shine through us and so I'll wrap it up with this thought Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? And his response, why not? They're the only ones who can handle it. And, and so that's really true. I mean, because of the perspective that God gives us, you can handle the difficulties of life better than the person that doesn't have the Lord. And, and so we can shine like lights in a really dark.